the smallest feline in the world. A rusty, spotted cat. He may look like a kitten. He'd still fit in the palm of your hand. But this little male is very nearly fully grown. He'll soon be setting off on a solitary life, fending entirely for himself. Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, and I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. And today, we are talking about tiny wild cats, a selection a selection, yes. A holiday selection, if you will, of tiny wild cats. We got done recording the, it might have been the Peacock episode, and we were trying to figure out what to do next, and we just started talking about, like, maybe it was even, it might have been even during the week, we just started talking about these tiny little cute little cats that are just murderers, just straight up killers. <laughs> They're so good at killing stuff. <laughs> So we said, hey, why not just pick a few of those and talk about them? So that's what we're going to do today. Yeah, because there's not really enough on any single one of them for a whole show. So we're just going to cram them all into a variety episode. So let's pop yep. the box off of this episode and uh, get get stuck in. You can have the coconut <laughs> ones. I don't care for those. <laughs> oh, I love the coconut ones. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to talk about Margays and Jagarundays. Jagger, Jagarundays. Ja I cannot... Jaguarundi. Jaguarundis. I have mm -hmm. had the worst time pronouncing this word. And then you're going to do Rusty Spotted Cats and Sand Cats. Yes. Woohoo! Woo All right. But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. A little good news, bad news for this episode. The Indian subcontinent is home to three rare cat species, the fishing cat, the leopard cat, and the rusty spotted cat, which I mentioned Donna will talk about. Only between 6 and 11% of the areas where these cats have their habitat is protected. And that's according to a study headed by Uppsala University in Sweden. A study is really important because when people think of protecting wild cats, they generally start thinking about, like, tigers and lions and jaguars and your big cats. And so these little smaller wild cats don't get nearly as much attention, which is why we're talking about them today. Part of the reason we're talking about them today. Also because the they're cute. And they're so cute. <laughs> Tiny little murderers. <laughs> the good news is that at Porfell Wildlife Park and Sanctuary in Cornwall, England some brand new rusty spotted cats were born. So they are a sanctuary for unwanted and surplus animals, and they took in a pair of rusty spotted cats. I think they were being kept as pets. Oh, dear. But but they took them in. Uh, Porfell doesn't actively breed cats, so this right. was just a happy little accident. 
it's really something too because zoos generally spend a lot of time trying to breed endangered animals and it's trial and error and this just happened back in may of this year 2020 and it just happened without anybody trying to make it happen there are only between 40 and 50 rusty spotted cats in zoos around the world so it's kind of a big deal like there's they, there's it's an animal that needs a lot of help so it was a, a very fortuitous little thing that they were able to get brand new little rusty spotted cats Yes. You can sort of see why people want them for pets, because they are so cute. Oh, um, yeah. But it's hard to remember they're <laughs> like, they're a wild animal. They're not a domestic oh, yeah. animal. They are not a pet. Yep. Uh, the Porfell Wildlife Park is closed, unfortunately, until spring of 2021 because of COVID. But they still have operating expenses. They still have animals to take care of. So they have a GoFundMe, and we will put that link to that GoFundMe in the show notes. Just a reminder to go to the varmints.podbean.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and on Instagram at, at varmintspodcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We have a Pinterest board that is run by one of our varm minions, which we really appreciate. You can put varmints into the search engine there and uh, find all the pictures of the animals from our show. And if you want some merchandise, you should go over to Redbubble and put, again, varmints into the search engine. You'll find our merchandise. You can get our crazy little awesome opossum on yeah. stuff for you. If you like the show, why not why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast where everywhere podcasts are found. And word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. So now let's go learn about a whole bunch of little tiny wildcats. Hey! Hey! Let's go hey. get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. <laughs> talk about the tiny guy the tiniest of the tiny guys the rusty spotted cat which is preonylurus rubig inosis i think that's pretty close to how it's pronounced they're found yep. in india and sri lanka um they keep adding little localities that host this species with more research because they're pretty gosh darn good at hiding but um so the northernmost location where they've been sighted is the Pilibit Forest Division, which is in the Indian Terai region in the state of Uttar Pradesh. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but I hope I did. The first sighting of the animal in central India was in the Nagzira Wildlife Sanctuary in Maharashtra. And the animal has been since spotted in lots of places there, including the west um, where a breeding population was identified alongside agricultural and human-dominated do landscapes. So they're kind of living side-by-side side with humans really sneakily and quietly. So it's pretty interesting. They're found all over the place over there. They inhabit the Nugu Wildlife Sanctuary in the state of Karnataka and in the Tiger Reserve in Andhra Pradesh and other parts of that area etc etc just tons and tons of them all over the place but they they might not entirely know what their range is because of you know 
they're tiny and they hide really well. <laughs> right. Yeah. So their habitat is that they inhabit mainly dry forest areas, but also there was a breeding group found in a humid and inhabited agricultural area, like we just said. So they might be in cities even. They might be anywhere. They just they don't know. They find them in uh, abandoned houses and in the rafters a considerable distance away from forests. So who knows? They might be becoming an urban critter. So difficult to say. Their fur is short and brownish gray with a rusty tinge. And some of the subspecies is less gray and has more of a russet color. Underside and throat are white with darker spots and stripes. Back and sides are covered with rusty brown spots. That's why they're called the rusty, the rusty cat. Their little soles of their feet are black and their tails are about half the length of their head and body. And at about half the size of a domestic cat, this is the smallest cat species in the world. So full-grown females can weigh up to 1.4 kilograms and full-grown males up to 1.7 kilograms. And that's, that's roughly around, that's just under three pounds for both of them. For about the first 100 days of development, the males are smaller, but after that time, they have a greater average body weight. So that's interesting. The males are a tiny bit larger, not that it makes much difference when you are that small. (laughs) (laughs) So rusty spotted cats mate year-round from what people can tell. That's sort of interesting. And 50% of the young are born between July and October. A territorial male can mate with all the females in his territory. <laughs> hey. Um, but in zoos, the males have been allowed to stay with their females after mating and after the birth of the kittens, and they do just fine. So some of this suggests that their mating system might be monogamous. Who knows? <laughs> this is pretty interesting. Right after the babies are born, the mother leaves them alone where she gave birth to them so that she can go and eat and have a poo. that's fair yeah yeah fair enough right and uh she she uh they don't translocate their young or carry food to them they just she just feeds them from milk when they're tiny and then they start to come and go from the birth site between 28 and 32 days and at least at first she removes their poops from their den she she they, they, she just cleans the den. She's like, ah, get all this baby poop out of here. <laughs> <laughs> when they come out, they usually have really well-developed locomotion abilities. So they can climb trees and jump on stuff. And they're crazy, crazy talented at that. So between 35 and 42 days of age, they can climb downwards head first from a steep branch. Um... And uh, in one case, the mother died in this zoo. The mother died before her offspring was only five weeks old, and the kitten never learned to climb downwards head first and continued to climb down backwards. <laughs> oh, poor guy. So it looks like mommy actually teaches them some of those skills. So that's pretty that's interesting, cool. huh? Yeah, that's really cool. Yep. So as they get older, they leave mom and they start to just live on their own. They are little solo animals. They don't really hang out in groups. They do in zoos and stuff, but that's sort of a false kind of situation. In the wild, they they go by themselves. The longest lifespan recorded was at the Frankfurt Zoo with one of them reaching 18 years of age. That's pretty crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sure it's nothing like that in the wild. 
average lifespan in captivity is about 17.9 years. That's crazy. So they are considered to be terrestrial with arboreal tendencies, which I loved that when I read that. <laughs> like, I've got arboreal <laughs> tendencies. I like to climb a tree sometimes. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was at one point believed that these guys were nocturnal hunters, and now they say that they are nocturnal slash crepuscular. So in the zoo... They, they tried to make their environment nocturnal, but it didn't work out so well, so they altered it to crepuscular, which is, you know, twilight and just early dawn, and uh, and found that they did better under those conditions. So it's kind of interesting how little is known from them as far as what is going on with them in the wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of study that just needs to be done. Most of what they know about them is actually from, from zoo animals. So yeah, pretty crazy. So what they eat is uh, birds and mammals, and they occasionally will apparently catch a domestic chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I will have your chicken. Can you imagine this little three-pound little cat? I'm going to get that chicken. No, no, no. Taking down a chicken? (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Yes. There was one occasion in Frankfurt, I think it's Frankfurt, where a male adult cat at the zoo killed a rabbit <laughs> weighing 1.7 kilograms. <laughs> so the cat at the time weighed 1.6 kilograms, and the night after the killing ate 320 grams of the muscle meat. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know how I got a hold of the rabbit. doesn't sound like it was intentional. <laughs> Holy there, cow. I know, right? There are no known wild predators to rusty-spotted cats, however, because of its small size, some speculate they might be eaten by larger predators. Nobody knows. Not yet. (laughs) And, of course, they are solo animals mostly in the wild, so they have to go looking for each other when it's time to mate, so that probably increases them to to uh, the risk of predation a little bit, so... I don't know, but their ecosystem role is that they are largely carnivorous and they probably control the populations of small vertebrates. And the ICU and Red List list them as vulnerable because of human population taking over their habitat. So it's habitat loss. The usual suspects. Good old habitat loss. Habitat loss. Yep. So that is the rusty spotted cat. Well, the first tiny cat that I picked was the margay. Margays can be found from central Mexico down through Central and South America. They're a very, very rare cat. They're very beautiful. They grow to be about two feet long or about 61 centimeters and weigh about eight pounds or three and a half kilograms. They look exactly like tiny little jaguars. Aww. They have the, the little rosette patterns on their coats Some are melanistic, so they look like little tiny black panthers. They're really something. They are cute. Look at that little face. Oh, yeah. Uh. They have a very long, thick tail, and that helps them balance in the trees. And that's where they start separating themselves from all the other wild cats. Because margays are almost completely arboreal, more than any other wild cat in the world. Wow. So the only time they leave their treetops really for anything is to move to a different tree or build a little burrow for their their young. But they also use like hollowed out trees for their the dens for their young. So oh. but all of their hunting, all their everything else is done up in the treetops. 
Amazing. And they are extraordinarily agile in the treetops. I mentioned the tail giving them stability and balance, but their hind feet rotate a full 180 degrees. Dude! So, yeah, they can just keep a full grip on all parts of the tree. They can move in all directions, up, down, left, right, as if they were on flat ground. One wildlife sanctuary strung a rope horizontally across their margay enclosure. The margays would jump from a distance of six feet or two meters with front legs and claws extended, hit the rope at their belly region, somersault over to hang by their hind feet, and then drop back down to the ground. Just for the heck of it. Just because they could. (laughs) (laughs) They've also been observed hanging from branches by one rotated hind paw. That is crazy. It is. They're, They're really amazing little animals. So like you were talking about how uh, your cat, Rusty Spotted Cat, can just climb up and down trees, no problem. Mm-hmm. These guys, same thing. They have those little, their the little paws rotate, and they can just go anywhere they want to up in a tree. That's pretty much it. The margay is classified as near threatened by the IUCN. It's fully protected over most of its range. The pelt of the margay is still the most common pelt in the southern Mexico skin trade. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of animals, there's habitat fragmentation like we talked about. Farmers will kill them for eating their chickens. They get hit by cars. There's global warming, which is also a real thing. And all the other crap that makes it hard for an anim- animal to keep itself going. They don't really have any predators. Like nothing really eats Margays because they are kind of they're really agile they just stay up in the trees probably their young will get picked off now and then um but they don't really have any predators hmm. well, they kind of are the predator huh <laughs> they are the predator yeah for their little niche in the trees the other thing that they don't really have going for them as far as like um conservation is that they they can and do breed all year round. They have a very, very low reproductive rate. So oh. they can produce one single kitten every year. That kitten has about a 50% chance of making it through that first year in the wild. Aw, poor little yeah. kitten. Yeah, so that's... When you can't make more kittens and you keep losing cats, it's, it's hard to, to keep up that population. So they're in a lot of trouble... They have one more adaptation that's really, really cool. I'm going to save that one for the animal fact portion of the show. So that'll be at the end of the show. Margay is a Spanish word that likely came from the old Tupi, which is an extinct Aboriginal Brazilian language. And that word is maracaya. And so in the Spanish language, it is also known as gato tigre or tiger cat, tigrillo or little tiger, caucel or uh, maracaya. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so the next cat that we're going to talk about is the sand cat. Sand cats are really cool. Sand cats have pale to sandy gray-brown coats that it's slightly darker on the back and pale on the belly with little stripes on their legs. They have bold red streaks that run across each cheek from the corner of their eyes, and they have a broad head with large eyes and low-set ears. If you ever, if you see their picture, they're like, they definitely look like a wild animal. They don't look so much like a 
domestic cat. They, their heads are all squished down and wild. <laughs> wild cat. <laughs> so the tail accounts for about half of their head to body length and features uh, two or three rings and a black tip. They're about 18 to 22.5 inches. That's 45 to 57 centimeters with the tail adding on an extra 11 to 14 inches or 28 to 35 centimeters. Adult sand cats are between 3 to 7.5 pounds. That's 1 to 3.5 kilograms. They live in three distinct regions of the world. They live in the Sahara Desert in Africa. They live in some parts of Central Asia, including Turkmenistan, Iran, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. And they live all through um, Algeria and Mar Morocco and places like that. So pretty cool. Sand cats are a very dry, arid habitat little animal. There's, they are used to there being a lot, not a lot of vegetation. And they dwell in the sand. They inhabit dry plains, rocky valleys. They're used to being in places where surface temperatures can reach 124 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 51 degrees Celsius during the day. And then drop as low as 31 degrees Fahrenheit or, point, or uh, negative 0.5 degrees C at night. That is crazy fluctuation. Wow. Yeah. So they prefer flat or rolling terrain, and they like to retreat into burrows where the temperatures are too extreme. And due to the importance of burrowing and digging to sand cats, they are not found in areas where the soil is compacted. So that's pretty cool. They mostly eat little rodents, uh, hares, birds, but they also uh, they prime blah, 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 blah. three, two. One. They mostly eat small rodents, but also occasionally hares, birds, spiders, insects, and reptiles. They are super fearless of snakes. They they can they can eat venomous vipers and other snakes. They're like, come here, snake, get in my belly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them, they can survive, uh, or like other desert-dwelling species, they can survive without drinking water for weeks at a time. They get any moisture that they need from eating their prey. They hunt by doing that kitty thing of skulking close to the ground, and they use their enhanced hearing to detect prey. And uh, they can hear sounds of a potential meal burrowing underneath the ground. <laughs> and then they dig really fast and, and get them. <laughs> and then when they capture prey they might even just cover it back up and come back later you know to to get the food mm -hmm. that's pretty cool but they they eat um at the smithsonian national zoo they eat mice bones and rib bone meat they um have a pretty normal cat sort of social structure they've been known to take turns sharing shallow burrows but they will not occupy the burrow at the same time so that's pretty interesting like i need the apartment later get out <laughs> now it's my turn <laughs> reproduction yeah. is dependent on where they live so in the sahara they begin breeding in january and end in april and those in turkmenistan will begin in april and in Pakistan, the season will last from September to October. So very, very wide range of breeding behaviors. That's so probably to do with the weather and how much food is available at the time. They can breed more than once a year. And uh, the range of time for the chosen breeding is 
again, because of climate or resources, which I just said. Boy, I'm repeating myself like crazy today. Uh, let's just cut that off. In, in, um, this is going to be such a pain for you to edit, and I apologize in advance. I'm so sorry. It's all right. <laughs> my little summary here is just terrible. I don't know what happened to my summarization skills. <laughs> uh. So, interestingly, this cat, the rusty spotted cat, usually only gives birth to, like, maximum three, and usually it's only one or two kittens. This sand cat is just a little bit bigger, and they still have, um, they still have litters of like one to eight kittens. Well, two to four is most common, but that's that's starting to be a little bit more like the cats we're familiar with type of thing. And mm-hmm. the kittens weigh just one ounce when they're born, or 39 grams. They're, they're independent by the time they're six to eight months old, which is much longer than a domestic cat, which is sort of interesting. And uh, sand cats are both um, nocturnal and crepuscular. They just mostly like to avoid the intense heat of the desert. They can live to be about 13 years old. And uh, they are cool. They they are uh, they are conservation status of least concern. Probably oh, because cool. humans don't want to live where they live. <laughs> yeah, well that helps. Yeah, well, that's good news. Yeah. Very good news. Sand cats are okay, at least so far. <laughs> All right. Well, the other cat that I chose today was the jaguarundi. The jaguarundi is found in northern Mexico, Central and South America, and very occasionally, once in a while, Texas. There have Ooh. been sightings in Texas. Yep. They they are on the bigger end of the tiny cat spectrum, so they're going to be the largest. They're going to be the largest tiny cat we talk about today. They grow to be about two and a half feet long or 76 centimeters and weigh anywhere between seven and 15 pounds or three to seven kilograms. Do like domestic cats get to be about 15 pounds or is that? a Yeah. Would that be a really heavy domestic cat? Domestic cat? I think that's that's on the heavier side. But my cats are both like my female Valera domestic cat is 15 pounds and the male is 19 and they are. They are maybe a pound or two overweight, so but still, even if you if you got them down to their their proper weight, that's still pretty big. So okay, so we're still talking yeah. like house cat sized cat. Yeah, I think I think most house cats are between you know seven to thirteen pounds probably. Yeah, they're not monsters like mine. <laughs> Jaguarindi's appearance is very very unique. They are a weird looking cat. So they come in two colors. They're either gray or red. The gray ones mostly live in tropical rainforests, and the red ones mostly live in open dry areas. And the coloration is uniform. There are no spots, no stripes, no nothing. They're either gray or they're red. And it kind of makes sense that that's how it would work. You, you know, in the darker environments, you would have get the, more of the gray ones, and in the open, sunny, dry areas, you would get more of the red ones. They have a very long body with relatively short legs in comparison they have a long thick tail and sort of a small squarish head with small ears in mexico the jaguarundi it's sometimes called the otter cat and when you look at this thing it looks exactly like somebody took an otter and a cat and just squished them together and combined them (laughs) they're a really unique looking animal and 
they do cross rivers and bodies of water at times, so a swimming jaguarundi could really easily be mistaken for an otter. Yeah, still a good idea to stay far away from them at all times. <laughs> yes. There's one more thing about the jaguarundi's appearance that when you look at them, you think there's something a little bit off about this cat, and I don't know what it is, but there's something, there's just something wrong with this cat. Jaguarundis are diurnal cats. They're most active during the day, which is unusual because most cats, like the ones we're talking about today, they're nocturnal, they're crepuscular. These guys are diurnal. They're, they're out and about during the day. Hmm. Nocturnal and diurnal cat's eyes have those skinny vertical pupils that help them see in the dark. Jaguarundis don't need those, so they have round pupils, just like you and me. Ah, like the big cats. Like the big cats. Yeah. And it's just amazing how just that little characteristic, those round pupils can make you look at an animal like this and you know it's a cat, but then there's just something not quite right about it. Jaguarundis use at least 13 different calls to communicate, and these calls range from purring, whistling, and chattering up to chirping like a bird. Uh, I had a hard time finding some of these vocalizations. I did find audio of two Jaguarundi kittens fighting. I will put the link to that in the show notes. Um, I listened to the audio earlier, and it would it would like your your eardrums would not be happy if I played it right now because it's very loud. But we, right. go to the show notes and you can you'll you can click on the link there and you can you can hear them there. Okay. Jaguarundis are classified as least concern by the IUCN, which is good news. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Their numbers are steadily decreasing. Fortunately, they're a lot better at successfully breeding than the Margay. So they breed year-round. They have three or four kittens per litter. They aren't really targeted for their fur, but they are killed for medicinal or or ornamental purposes or taken as pets. (sighs) Gosh. Yeah. Come on, people. Habitat loss and fragmentation is also a problem for them. And they love eating chickens, so farmers will kill jaguarundis for eating their chickens. Uh, Because they are on the ground and in the water, they are also predated upon by caiman, anacondas, occasionally harpy eagles will take smaller jaguarundis, so they do have things that eat them. Right. The word jaguarundi is another word that comes comes to us from the old Tupi language, Yaguarundi, so it's not too far off. Hmm. It's also sometimes called Gato Morisco, which translates from Portuguese as Moorish cat. Well, I'm with them. I like eating chicken as well. Me too. My friend the Jaguarundi and I are going out to dinner, and we're going to have chicken. (laughs) As we record this, there are chicken breasts baking in my oven right now. Yum. You can share your dinner with a jaguarundi. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make like a jaguarundi over to the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not too much pop culture for these guys, but before we get into that, I'm going to tell you about Patreon. We don't sell you mattresses. We don't sell you f- food kits or audible th- subscriptions or what are some of those other things that people sell on podcasts? Mattresses. Mattresses. I, whatever they sell on podcasts, we don't do that. <laughs> Can't think of anything. <laughs> no, we're completely listener-supported through Patreon. And we have wonderful Patreon supporters that help keep this show going and help us so that we have, uh, you know, 
swag to get away to give away little stickers and stuff and i make a little youtube series and they pay for the hosting so that's cool like it's hard anymore to come by a podcast that isn't trying to sell you something in the middle of it and and we just we're not going to do that we're just going to rely on patreon uh, so thank you for supporting us on patreon those of you that already do and if you want to join those people and get some little rewards and benefits you can go to patreon.com slash varmints Hey there everyone, Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often so let's talk about where we all see them most of the time on movies, TV, comic books, toys and video games Well, there's just not a whole bunch in the way of pop culture for these guys, uh, but that you guys heard at the beginning of the show, the little clip of the guy talking about the tiny sand cat. You can see him on an episode of a show called Big Cats on BBC One. Find somewhere you can watch BBC One and you will be able to watch this series. And it's funny because it, it's a show mostly about lions and tigers and, <laughs> you yeah. know, jaguars and leopards and all those guys, big cats. But they have an episode where they were like, okay, so we're talking about big cats. How about some small cats, too? <laughs> and uh, it's because most of the attention on cats, on wild cats, gets given to the big ones, the lions and all those guys. We love those guys because they're amazing and they're huge and we just think they're we're really cool and all this stuff and yeah and they are but they were like but there's also all these really small guys out there that are wild cats so yeah that's where you find that show and then for the sand cats there's lots of videos on youtube <clears throat> just go and put sand cat in there and you can see videos about sand cats all day long we have a little clip from the cincinnati zoo who have some sand cats there you can go see them there, too. Now, the sand cat, as its name implies, is built for a life in the desert, not just its coloration for hiding. It has fur on the bottom of its feet to walk on the hot desert sand. It hunts principally at night and hides during the day in the shade of a burrow. And I know they look cute, especially when they're these little kittens. But I'll tell you what, these are tough hunters. A small rodent like a mouse does not want to get anywhere near a sand cat. <laughs> and that's just a little sample of the videos that the Cincinnati Zoo does. We, we've featured their videos on the hippo episode. That's where Fiona the hippo oh, is right. living. Yep. And they have a lot of really small little cats and stuff, too. So it's pretty cool. Yep. But, yeah. Really neat. Go, go check out Cincinnati Zoo's videos. And just go to YouTube to watch videos of all of these cats that we're talking about today. Because you'll see plenty of them. Yeah, these little cats are important too. Like, like you say, the the lions and the tigers get a lot of attention, and they should get a lot of attention, especially like tigers are in a lot of trouble. Um, but these little these little cats, these little wild cats, in a lot of places where they live, they are like the apex predator. They are keystone species. They they're they're like they need to be protected too. And I think people either just are completely unaware of them or they forget about them because they're tiny. They're important. They're important little little cats. They are small but fierce. Well, I don't really have any pop culture either um, for either the Margate or the Jagarundi other than 
I found a 1961 Life magazine article where a photographer visited the Manhattan apartment home of Cy and Meg Merrill, who bought a Margay. They named him Montezuma or Monty as a kitten. And they interviewed Meg Merrill, and she reportedly said, Owning one has been a dreadful mistake. They're untamable, untrainable, and completely self-centered. <laughs> yep. They're, okay, so you cannot keep a Margay or a Jagarunde legally. Yeah, it's illegal to have those cats. There are exotic well, cat good. breeds that you can keep. Like I said, Ma Margays and Jagarundes not on that list. And normally, like, when it comes to, like, an exotic pet, normally me and Donna would encourage you to do your homework on that pet. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you just to not do that and rescue a cat instead. Yep. Animal shelters are loaded with cats that need good homes. So if you have ever wanted an exotic cat, a lion or a tiger or a little jaguar in your home, just get a cat. If you're in a position to take proper care of a cat, just go get a cat, <laughs> you know? Yeah, get a cat. It's the exact same behavior, and they are, they've been living with us for 5,000 years-ish, maybe yeah. more. So their behavior is completely in sync with ours, where as you get one of these little wild guys, they don't know from domestication. They're like, what are you, a big giant pink monkey? Get away from me. <laughs> and then they, you know, they don't bond with you the same way that domestic cats do. They pee on everything. Mm -hmm. They, if you think a domestic cat can shred furniture, man, these guys, they shred <laughs> everything. You know, these guys can tear up your refrigerator, stuff like that. They, they're not pets. So, yeah, yeah. don't do it. Get a kitty from the, from the rescue. Yay! Yeah. I did pool maintenance for several years, and one of my clients had an exotic cat, and I forget what kind it was. But it was a really weird cat. It had, like, really long legs, and it was a beautiful cat. But the guy was always complaining about it. Like, he was always complaining about how tough it was to take care of this thing and make sure you don't leave the screen door open because my cat will get out and it's a you know it was just crazy like if you go to your animal if if you're situated where you can take good care of a cat go to your animal shelter find a good match find a cat that is right for you and just get a cat we just say it again and again and again until it sticks <laughs> <laughs> The captive wildlife crisis does not need you to uh, contribute to it. Just go no. get a cat. <laughs> and if you absolutely must feel like you own a wild animal, you should donate to a uh, sanctuary and go and visit them. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, go volunteer. Yeah. If you have the time, go volunteer. Yeah. Go go. Yeah. spend time with those animals and, and scoop up their poop and feed them and get to know them. And then go home and have everything in your house still intact. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, hello, Paul and Donna. It's me, Billy Lee Campbell. Oh, Billy Lee. And I'm here to ask you a question. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. Back to you, Paul and Donna. Oh, good old Billy Lee. So researchers know what margays feed on, mostly from picking out bones and hair and stuff from their poop. 
And they know that one of the things that is in the Margay's food box is a primate. More specifically, pied tamarind monkeys that also live up in the treetops. And until very recently, they had never seen a Margay attempt to catch one of these monkeys for dinner. Researchers interviewed people who had lived in the jungle their entire lives about how Margays hunt, because they're really hard to, to study. And one common observation from these people that lived in the jungle their entire lives was that Margays mimic the calls of prey species to lure them out. The researchers later spotted a group of eight of these pied tamarins that had settled down to feed at a fig tree. There was a margay close by, but it didn't rush into the group of monkeys to grab one of them. The margay was hidden and it started to make noises that sounded a lot like pied tamarind babies. And that strategy didn't work. There was a monkey that was on the lookout uh, and he was on the job that day, so he was able to alert the group and they got away. So even though the Margay didn't catch a monkey that day, it was a really amazing thing to find out about this hunting strategy. By mimicking the calls of the tamarind babies, they may draw individuals out into a better position to attack them. Wow. Tamarinds use vocalizations to claim territory. So if a Margay is hiding and making tamarind noises that might lure a tamarind to come over there to see what's going on and say, hey, other tamarind, beat it hit the bricks, you know, or, hey, there's a baby over here. And then it comes uh-huh. face to face with one of these margays and it's all over with. So it's pretty ah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is. That's amazing. Yep. That's really amazing. Well, I only wanted to just add as far as, you know, there's a reason these guys weren't really enough for one whole show each, right? So um, right. the cool fact is something that was mentioned in the YouTube video about the sand cats about the fur on the bottoms of their feet, and I just wanted to point that out as a special fact about them. That's pretty cool. They've got really dense, uh, if you look up on the internet, sand cat paws, and you can see that they're, they're, they have this dense, wiry fur on the bottom of their little feet, so you can't really see their, their toe beans, because they, they're completely covered, and the, what the hair does is make it so they can walk across this hot sand without getting burned, and it obscures their tracks. So, that's got to be useful. Yeah. <laughs> so, I just thought that was really cool. Probably need to be focus on the hairy paws. Paw, hair on their bottom of their feet, and you can't see their little toe beans. <laughs> Well, this show today has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by the wonderful and talented Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Carrie McGinnis, Stacey and Frosty, and Chris Green. Hooray! Thanks, everybody, again, for listening so much. We do appreciate it. And until next time... Uh, be nice to animals, everybody. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com. We meet again. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Donahue, my old nemesis. <laughs> okay. It is I. <laughs> At last, we meet. I have been waiting for a very long time for this moment. <laughs> the anticipation is almost overwhelming. Ha ha ha!
You shall not win this time, Hume. <laughs> oh, mark your words, Chomo. You will regret them here very quickly. <laughs> we shall see about that. <laughs> Wait, who's the good guy here? Nobody. It's just two villains. I don't know. Just <laughs> <laughs> competing villains. <laughs> this is my territory. <laughs> I shall be more villainous than you. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> you don't. You see, know I can do, do this the... better than you. You don't know how to do <laughs> the evil hand laughy thingy where you. Put your hands in front of your face. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike you, I have a mustache to twirl. <laughs> I can get a mustache from my victims. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, let's try the clap again. Clap mm -hmm. in three. Two, one, 